that. And Lord, I, I just I want to be a help to the people who are here. And Lord, I just would hope that as we would leave here this morning, we would be able to say that God hath met with us. And Lord, I ask that you'd help me as I preach these uh, concepts, these doctrines, these teachings from your word. I pray you, Holy Spirit, would come upon me and you'd help me to say the things you'd have me to say. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Genesis chapter number 42. And just to give you a brief background on the story, you may be very familiar with the life of Joseph, a very famous character in the Bible. If you remember, Joseph was envied by his brothers. He was uh, taken by his brothers who envied him. And he was uh, sold to the Ishmaelites into slavery. They took him down into uh, Egypt. And he was hated by his brothers. When they took him to Egypt, he was sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar uh, uh, was the captain of the guard. He worked for Pharaoh. He protected Pharaoh. And uh, Potiphar, a very uh, wealthy man there. And Joseph went up the ranks there working for Potiphar. Became the second uh, man in charge there of Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. And tried to get him to uh, lie with her. And he refused. So she lied about him. And she lied about him. She uh, lied about the fact that he. She said he tried to uh, rape her when he didn't. And when we went through that, and I understand that, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. He got lied about. He got thrown into prison. He spent time in prison, and eventually God worked it out through Pharaoh having a dream and Joseph being able to interpret that dream. That God brought him out of prison. Twenty years he spent in slavery and in a dungeon. And after that, God brought him out and made him the second most powerful man in Egypt. God used Joseph to be able to uh, prepare the, the, the dreams that Pharaoh had there were dreams uh, that were the interpretation where seven years of, of plenteous were coming and seven years of famine. And Joseph was able to take those seven years of plenteous and he saved uh, food and he took food, he stored food in order to be able to save and, and protect people and save people's lives during the days of famine. And, and here in chapter 42 we find ourselves in those days of famine. And we find that God is working through this. If you were with us last Sunday night, you know, I, I, I preached a sermon on this, uh, and I was talking about how God was preparing Joseph's heart to be able to meet and confront his brothers. And in this chapter, I believe, we see God preparing Joseph's brothers to reveal Joseph unto them, to confront Joseph to them. Now, Joseph meets his brothers in this chapter, but they don't realize that he's Joseph. They don't recognize him. And they just think he's just an Egyptian, the second most powerful man there. And it's a very interesting thing, because if you look at chapter 42, if you look down at verse number 28, and we read there the passage, obviously, and you saw all the different things that happened there. But in, in verse 20, 28, the Bible says this, And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they were afraid. I want you to, don't just read past those verses there. Genesis 43, verse 28. The Bible says, these men were gathered together. They were in this inn, and they were gathered together. And the Bible says, their hearts failed them. I understand that terminology. Their hearts sank. And they were afraid. They were scared. And this is what they said. Saying one to another. This is what they said. What is this that God hath done unto us? I don't know about you, but... Many times, and often I've heard, have you ever asked yourself this question? Maybe you've been going through a trial, or you've been going through a test, or you've been going through a tribulation, and you may have asked yourself this question, what is God doing? 
Or why is God doing this to us? And Joseph's brothers found themselves in a situation here where things were happening and they weren't understanding why uh, you know, certain things were happening wrong in their life and why God was maybe picking on them or, or, or uh, tempting them or, or trying them. And they asked this question, what is this that God has done to us? And I believe that all of us, and if you've never been there before, you might want to just prepare yourself because at some point in your life, you will be going through something in your life, through a trial, through a tribulation, through a persecution in your life, and you may just be wondering to yourself, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God doing this to me? Why does God not help me here? And you may just be wondering, what is this that God has done unto us? And I'd like to just show you from this text a few things. Whenever you ask yourself this question, what is this that God has done unto us? I'd like to show you a few things as to what it might be that God is trying to show you. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, Actually, uh, go, go to uh, verse uh, 53 of the previous chapter. Chapter 41, look at verse 53. The Bible says, And the seven years of plenteous that was in the land of Egypt were ended. So the first seven years it was plenteous, the economy was great, those years were ended. And the seven years of dearth began. The seven years of famine. Bad years. And the seven years of dearth began to come, verse 54, according as Joseph had said... And the dearth was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread, because Joseph prepared for those days of famine. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried unto Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, notice what Pharaoh says, so the people come to Pharaoh, and they said, feed us, we need bread. And notice what Pharaoh says, he says, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. I'd like to say number one, and first you must understand, the purpose of the famine, The purpose of the seven years of dearth are found in verse 55. The purpose was that all those who would be affected by the famine would go unto Joseph. That's what, they came to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, go unto Joseph, what he saith unto you do. Look at verse 56, and the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt uh, to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was sore in all the land. Now if you remember, we talked about this before, Joseph in this story is a picture of Jesus Christ. I, won't, I don't want to dwell too much on it, but if you remember last week, uh, last Sunday night, we talked about how Joseph was a picture of Jesus Christ. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was sold by Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was lied about. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, I was just, we were reading this last night to our kids in our Bible time, how they took Jesus to a mock trial and they lied. And they had a false testimony to have him arrested and put to death. Uh, Joseph was beloved of his father. And we know that... The, that uh, Jesus Christ was beloved of His Heavenly Father. And Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this uh, passage here, Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to say, number one, if you ever find yourself asking this question, what is this that God has done unto us? If you ever find yourself asking this question, what is God doing? Why is God allowing this? Number one, God was driving His brothers closer to Joseph. Look at verse 1 of chapter 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? You know, I'd, I'd like to say that to the, the average uh, lazy man in America today, living off the government. 
These men that, that just sit there, you know, and I don't have anything to do. Other than to serve. But these, these people who just refuse to work, they, I'd love to just ask them, why do you just look one upon another? No, there's money to be made. There's food. You know, go get them. That's what J- Jacob comes to his, his, his son. He says, why are you staring at each other? Look at verse 2. He says, and he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down hither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And I'd like you to see who initiated the meeting between Joseph and his brethren. You know, who, who's the one that started this meeting? And I'd like to show you, first of all, no man, no human being initiated this meeting. Think about this. Joseph was the most powerful man on earth. Second most powerful man on earth. Second most powerful man in Egypt. Only person more, pow- more powerful than Joseph was Pharaoh. And Joseph has gone through seven years of plenty. And think about this. Joseph, not once, for whatever reason, we don't know why, Joseph never decided to go down to Canaan to try to find his father. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that interesting? Most powerful man on earth. Sure, he could have found an excuse to go find him, but he never, he didn't initiate this. Joseph, no man initiated this. His brothers, if you look at, go, go back with me to Genesis 37. Look at verse 25. Genesis 37, when they initially sold him, in verse 25, the Bible says, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gil- Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And uh, there his brothers sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, and they knew that they were going down to Egypt. But notice his brothers never went down to Egypt to try to look for Joseph, to try to find Joseph. See, what you've got to understand is that no man initiated this. God initiated this meeting. God is the one who, who, who uh, brought this to pass. God is the one who allowed the famine. And the famine caused Jacob to say to his sons, go down into Egypt and go hither and buy corn and buy his food that we may eat and not die. Now here's what you got to understand. His brothers thought... They were going to Egypt because of a famine. His brothers thought they were going to Egypt to buy food. But what they did not understand, that God was using the circumstances around their lives not to draw them to Egypt to buy food, to buy shelter, to buy clothing, to be able to survive. He was doing these things in their lives to be able to bring them closer to Joseph. Who who does Joseph represent? The Lord Jesus Christ. And often in our lives, people say, why is God allowing a famine in my life? Why is God allowing circumstances in my life? Why is God putting me through temptations or drugs? Why are my kids going hungry? And why is my dad, you know, we're not able to, uh, we don't have enough income and we don't have enough resources and why is God doing this? And you got to understand when you find yourself asking this question, why is God doing it? He may be trying to draw you closer to Joseph. Closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Closer to His presence. Go over to Psalm 119. Look at what the Bible says. Psalm 119. If you open up your Bible smack down in the middle, you'll likely find Psalm. If you look at Psalm 119, look at verse number 67. Psalm 119, look at verse number 67. See, we are very stubborn people. We are a very rebellious people. And if you look at Psalm 119.67, look at what the psalmist said. He said, before... Notice what he said. Psalm 119.67. He says, before I was afflicted... Notice what he says. I went astray. 
but now have I kept thy word. See, so often the Bible says we are as sheep who have scattered. The Bible says we have gone our own way. And oftentimes God, His purpose in our lives is to bring us closer to Him. His purpose in our lives is to bring us closer to His will and closer to His presence. But so often He must afflict us to bring us closer. Do you ever find yourself asking the question, why is God doing this to me? He might be trying to bring you closer. And oftentimes God uses affliction to do that. The psalmist said, look at it again, Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. You remember the story of the prodigal son who left his father's house in rebellion? And the Bible said, and by the way, let me give you some parenting advice. His his, the son left, and you don't find the dad running after him. Oh, please come back. He says, hey, go ahead. Live it up. But the Bible says, when he came to the end of himself, when the young man wasted the money, and by the way, when the money was gone, so were the friends. And when the parting was over, when the fun life was over, and he found himself in, in the pig's pen, you know, eating with the hogs, and eating the food of the and he, and he came, the Bible says, he came to the end of himself. He came to that affliction. And this is what he was saying, you know, and, and the young man, he thought to himself, there in the prodigal son, he was eating with the pigs, and he thought to himself, my, the, my father's servants are eating better than this. He said, I'll go back to my father's house. I don't even want to go back as a son. I just want to go back as a slave. I just want to go back as a servant. He said, why, why did that happen to him? Why did he have to come to the end of the rope there? Why? Because of this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And so often in our lives, God, we will go astray, and we will go from God, and we will wonder, and God has to bring us back. And He uses those famines, and He uses those afflictions, and He uses those trials, and He might, and you might be wondering, God, why are you doing this? And He might just be saying, hey, I'm just trying to bring you closer to Joseph. Closer to Jesus. Closer to God. Go to Exodus. Look at Exodus 19. Genesis, Exodus Exodus chapter number 19, look at verse number 4. Exodus chapter number 19, look at verse number 4. Look at what God says to the children of Israel. Exodus 19 verse 4, He says, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and look what He says, and brought you unto Myself. That is what God wants for you and I. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. He wants us to be closer to Him. He wants to. Be, but oftentimes we find ourselves, we find Joseph in Egypt while we're in Canaan, and, and God is wondering to me, thinking, "How am I going to bring the brethren to Joseph?" And he, and he finds himself looking at us and he thinks, "How am I going to bring the brethren to Jesus?" How am I? And he and he thinks, oh, "You know, I could invite them down, but they wouldn't come. I could maybe tell them that, but they wouldn't come." So the only way they're going to go is through a famine. The only way they're go, it's through affliction. The only way they're going to go. So if you find yourself asking this question, what is God doing? Maybe He's just trying to bring you closer. Number two, go back to Genesis 42. What is this that God had done unto us? I said number one, He might be trying to bring you closer to Joseph. Number two, He's trying to bring you contrite to Joseph. Look at verse number... Five, Genesis 42. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. 
And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came. Look what it says. Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. Notice, Joseph recognized them, but made himself strange unto them. They didn't recognize him. And he spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. You see that? He knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered... No, this is beautiful. Verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dream which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. You say, what dream is he talking about? Go back to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. Genesis 37, 5. The Bible says, And Joseph, this was back when Joseph was a 17-year-old boy living with his dad. The Bible says, And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. They hated him because of his dream. What was his dream? Look at verse 6. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. He said, hey, I was having a dream. We were out in the field and I, we were gathering up this corn, these sheaves, we brought them together and we were binding them up. And you know what happened? My sheaf stood up and your sheaves bowed down. Look at what we're saying. 17-year-old boy talking to his 10 older brothers. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dream for his, and for his words. Look at verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream. And told it his brethren. And said, Behold, I have dreamed the dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. That word obeisance, I mean, they bowed themselves. They made themselves contrite to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him. And said unto them, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come down, come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Notice he had this dream. Go back to Genesis 42. Many years ago, and they mocked him for it. They said, we're not going to bow ourselves to you. Joseph, you're the youngest brother. You're just a little boy. Why would we bow ourselves to you? But notice, many years later, the Bible tells us, look at verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Skip out the verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dream which he dreamed of them. Number one, God may be trying to bring you closer to Joseph. Number two, God is not only trying to bring you closer to Joseph, God is trying to bring you contrite to Joseph. God is trying to bring you humbly to Joseph. And we know that Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Christ. God is trying to bring us closer to Jesus. But He doesn't just want us to come to Jesus. He wants us to come bowing to Jesus. Now the problem with our sin life is this. Our sin stems from a problem of not being humble. Do you know that? If you have sin in your life, if you have uh, things in your life that you refuse, you say, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to fix that, I don't want to do that, I don't like God's Word telling me that. Sin in our life has, is rooted in the problem of arrogancy, of pride. Look at uh, Deuteronomy, look at uh, chapter 8. You're there in Genesis, go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 8, look at verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter number 8, look at verse number 2. Look what the Bible says. 
Deuteronomy 8.2 says this, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Let me tell you something. 40 years in the wilderness, that's a, that's a famine. That's a tribulation. He says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. God was telling the children of Israel, I brought you through the wilderness for 40 years. And he says, here's the purpose. Here's why I did it. He said, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Let me tell you something. When God brings you through the wilderness, when God brings you through the famine, when God, you know, the children of Israel oftentimes were asking themselves, what is God doing? Why does God not just let us go into the land of Canaan? Why does not God just give us our possession? Why are we running around in circles for 40 years in this wilderness, in this desert, in this famine, in this persecution, in this tribulation? Why is God doing it? It might just be this. He's trying to humble you. See, God wants you to bring you closer to Jesus, but He wants to bring you closer to Jesus while you're contrite to Jesus. While you're humbling to Jesus. While you're going to Jesus. Go, go read to Philippians, chapter number 2, in the New Testament. Philippians, you can find... Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, chapter number 2. Look at verse number 6. Here's a beautiful part about the life of Joseph. Remember, Joseph represents the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Remember that Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him? And they said, we refuse to bow to you. We will never bow to you. But here's the beautiful thing in the story. They bowed themselves to, to Joseph. And they didn't even know it. They bowed themselves to Joseph, and they didn't even realize it. See, they didn't have an option. They didn't choose whether or not they would bow themselves to Joseph. They just bowed themselves to Joseph. And here's what you got to understand about our world today. Many people in this world say, Jesus Christ, I'll never bow myself to Him. Jesus Christ, I will reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I will, the evolutionists today say, I will reject God, I will reject the Messiah, I will reject the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to bow myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews today reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they say, I will not bow myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Muslims today reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so many religions today refuse to come humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. They say, no, I will earn my way to heaven. I will do, I will do it myself. I will work my, my way there. I'll get baptized, and I'll repent of my sins, and I'll turn over a new leaf, and I'll go to the confessional booth, and I'll do whatever, and I'll do all these things. I'll get myself to heaven. I can do it. And they say, I refuse to bow myself. Here's this beautiful thing. Joseph's brother said, no, no, Joseph. We're not bowing to you. But many years later, they didn't have an option. Down they went and they bowed their knee. And let me tell you something. In this world today, every single one of us, you and I, will bow our knee to Jesus. But here's the, here's the, here's the point. You either get to choose to bow, or one day you'll be forced to bow. Look what the Bible says. Philippians chapter number 2. Look at verse number uh, 6. Philippians chapter number 2. Look at verse number two, uh, 6. Look what the Bible says. Who being in the form of God. This is Jesus Christ. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, and this is part of the sermon. But let me just stop right there for a second. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God. It says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He said it wasn't he wasn't robbing from God to make himself equal. You know what the word equal means? 
Because, like, remember algebra class? E, you know, if A equals B, it's the same thing. Equal means the same. He said he thought it out robbery to make himself equal with God. Let me, let me show you something, because this isn't part of the sermon, but, that, you know, I can't read that verse without doing this. Let me take for you, at, at Verity Baptist Church, we are King James Bible only. We believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, that it's inspired, that it's preserved, that it's without error. And it's not just a preference for us. It's not, okay, I like it better. No, the, there's a, the new versions of the Bible are attacking doctrine of the Bible. Let me read for you out of this. This is the new international version. This is the most u- widely used Bible in America today. And let me show you something out of this. Uh, Philippians chapter number 2. And let me read for you out of verse number 6. Out of the NIV. The new international version. I call it the non-inspired version. Now, if you've got a King James Bible, you look down on your King James Bible, and you read Ephesians 2.6 says this, talking about Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now let me read for you out of Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 6, while you read out of your King James. And I'll read out of this piece of trash. Look what it says. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Do you catch that? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. Do you understand what the NIV just said? The New International Version of the Bible just told me that Jesus Christ did not think that equality with God was something He could grasp. Now hold on, what's the Bible say? Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, here's what you got to understand about these new versions of the Bible. And this is a, such a simple phrase, but this will maybe just clear your mind when it comes to the Bible. Things that are different are not the same. Do you understand that? Okay? If the Bible says, if, if, if two Bibles say the exact opposite thing, one says Jesus did not think it robbery to make him, Jesus thought it was okay to make himself equal with God. Why? Because Jesus was God. And this piece of pride says, Jesus didn't think he could attain equality with God. It wasn't something he could grasp. Look, those are two opposite things. One is saying he couldn't be equal with God. The other one is saying he can't be equal with God. It's not, you know, people say, well, I just like reading the Bible. It's just easier. It's the V's and the vowels. I don't Look, let me tell you something. Okay, it's not that hard. Thou means you. Thee means you. I mean, you know, half? It's just half with a TH at the end of it. It's not that hard to figure out. But listen to me. It's not that I'm against, oh, I can't understand this Bible. It's not, I'm not against that. I'm against false doctrine. I'm against a Bible that says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be good. That is false doctrine. That is false teaching. You want to know why churches in America are teaching false doctrine all across this country? It's because they're using this piece of trash, this garbage Bible, and Bibles like it all across the country. The New King James, the ESV, the NIV, all of them are garbage. Why? Because they are preaching a false doctrine. You either believe that Jesus is God or you don't. You either believe that Jesus is God or you don't. You either believe the King James Bible or you don't. Period. And you know, people don't like that today, but hey, I'm not here to make people happy. I'm here to preach the Word of God. And you've got to understand that this Bible, I mean, it says, I, I read it to you. You can come look at it if you want. And that's just one example. I could use you. I could show you. I mean, and I've done it. I've spent sermons going all throughout the Bible, teaching how these Bibles are changing the Word of God. It's not about it's easier to read. It's not easier to read. If that was it, wouldn't it say the same thing? 
But things that are different are not the same. Period. Look at what it says. And that was the part of the sermon. That's not even in my notes. Look at what it says. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Look what it says, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see that? The Bible says that Jesus Christ humbled himself, and when he humbled himself, he became obedient. He even became obedient unto death. Even unto the death of the cross. So oftentimes, God is trying to humble us because when we get humbled, we become obedient. When we get humbled... See, the word humble means to lower yourself. The word humble means to submit yourself. The word submit, the word sub, like a submarine, it means to go below. When you humble yourself before God, you submit yourself to God. But see, here's, here's what an arrogant attitude says. I don't care. I don't care if the Bible says that. I don't care if God says that. I'm going to do it. Your problem is you're not humble. Because if you are just submitting yourself to God, you say, well... Ah, that hurt. But that's what the Bible says. You see what I'm saying? And oftentimes, God is working in the circumstances in our lives because He's trying to bring us, yes, number one, closer to Jesus, but He's trying to bring us humbly to Jesus. He's trying to bring us, bring us contrite to Jesus. He's trying to bring us to Jesus with a humble spirit. But look at what it says. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, unto death uh, even the death of the cross. Look at, uh, skip down to verse 10 in the same chapter. Look what it says. Verse 10 in the same chapter. That at the name of Jesus, look what it says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that every tongue, that every tongue should confess, that every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know all these little teenagers running around, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution, I believe in science, and all these Muslims around there, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, and all these uh, Jews running around, I don't, I, I don't uh, accept Jesus as the Messiah, I won't bow myself to Jesus as the Messiah. And by the way, all these Jehovah's Witness running around who say that Jesus is not God, saying, well, oh, he was just a good man, he was a good prophet, but he wasn't God. And all these Mormons running around saying, well, he wasn't God like God. He was just a God. Like one day I'll be an a God, bringing him, bring him down to the equality of man. And all these people who refuse to bow their ear to God one day at the, at, the, at the last trump, at the last day, not the last trump, but at the last day, at the, at the great white throne judgment, the Bible says every single individual will be forced to bow their knee. And they'll be forced to proclaim with their mouth. See, every knee will open their mouth one day and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But today you get a choice. You know, the Bible says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. See, today God says, if thou shalt confess. Because He says, today you get a choice. If you confess the Lord Jesus, I'll save you. And that day, He says, you won't have a choice. You will confess the Lord Jesus but you'll be condemned to eternity in hell. Before they get thrown into the lake of fire, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Wouldn't it be better if you just decided today, you know what, before I'm 
forced to submit, I'm just going to willingly submit. Before I'm forced to bow, I'm just going to bow myself. Before I come to Egypt to Joseph and I'm down on my knees, bowing to Joseph, and I don't even realize it, I'm going to do it, knowing that it was God's will, knowing that that's what God... I said, number one, if you ever ask yourself this question, what is it that God had done unto us? He might be bringing you closer to Joseph, Jesus. He might be bringing you contrite to Joseph, Jesus. Number three... You may ask this question, what is this that God had done unto us? God was driving their conscience toward Joseph. Go back to Genesis 42. Look at what the Bible says. Genesis 42. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says here, if you remember, I won't take time to go through it, but if you remember when we first met Joseph, Remember his father asked Joseph to go to his brethren and to bring back their evil report? That's what his dad asked him to do. So Joseph obeyed. He went and he told his father, flat out asked him, what are they doing? And he told him. And you know, because of that, I'm sure that his brethren often, when they saw Joseph coming, accused him of being a spy. Oh, what are you, you're coming so you can spy us, you can go tell dad. It's very interesting because when his brothers come to Joseph, look at verse 9, Genesis 42. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, look what he says, ye are spies. Notice, he's accusing them like they accused him. You see that? Why is he doing that? He's trying to remind them. He says, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. Then he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. You notice, he keeps calling them spies, spies, spies. Why? Because that's what they probably were accusing him. But I'd like you to look at a few things. He says, Hereby shall ye be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Now look at verse 16. He says, Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother. And ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all to gather, to, together in war three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do, and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your house. And I can just see this. So Joseph devises his plan. i, I got to move quickly because I'm running out of time. Joseph devises his plan. He says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to keep all the brothers in prison. I'm going to send one of you to go get your younger brother and bring him back. When you bring your younger brother, I'll know you're true men. I'll know you're not lying. And then I'll let you go. He puts him in prison for three days. Joseph thinks about it. He changes his mind. He says, you know what? Actually, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let all of you go, and I'm just going to keep one of you back. Now you say, why did he do that? Well, if you look at the last phrase of verse 19, the Bible says this. He says... If, uh, just look at verse 19. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, notice what he says, carry corn for the famine of your houses. See, Joseph started thinking about it. 
And he started to think. This is what he thought. I know these guys aren't spies. I'm working in their hearts to try to bring their conscience back to what they did to me. But he said, here's the thing. If I keep all ten of them here, and I send only one back, that one's not going to be able to carry enough food for the house. He said, my, my dad still needs food. Their family still need food. So he thought about it for three days, and he said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Instead of keeping all nine of you here and sending one of you back, I'm going to send all of you back and keep one of you here. And he said, go carry corn for the famine of your house. And here's what you've got to understand. When God is working in your life, when God is bringing things into your life, and He's trying to bring you closer to Him, and He's trying to bring you contrite to Him, and He's trying to bring your conscience towards Him, He never gives you more than you can bear. He will not do something that will hurt you. He will not let... Joseph was not going to let those ten men's children and wives and cattle die because he was teaching them a lesson. And he said, you know you know what? And we're going to do it this way because I don't want to hurt you. And I don't want to cause you pain. Go with me uh, quickly to Hebrews uh, chapter number... Where are we? I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at verse number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You see that? God promises that as He tempts you and He brings you through these trials, He won't give you more than you can handle. But here's the thing. You know, I've heard this analogy. I think it's a good analogy. God, you know, it's like when you're working out and you have a spotter. You know, uh, maybe it's just a man's analogy. I don't know. But, you know, think about somebody doing a, uh, a bench press. You know, they're, they're on, the, on the little, uh, you know, thing there, whatever it's called. And they got all this weight and they're trying to, they're trying to bench press it. Now look, it's very dangerous to be working out without a spotter with that much weight because you could hurt yourself. People have actually died and strangled themselves. So you have a spotter there and they're there to help you. But here's the thing. You don't want the spotter doing the reps for you because that's not going to get you to be, grow. You see what I'm saying? You've got to do one. You know, for, for, and, and then most of us are done there. <laughs> one. Two. No, now, if, if I'm the spotter and I'm, there, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for him, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What time is it? Man, the weather's like, you're not going to grow. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> the spotter is there. Here, here, here's a good spotter will do this. They'll let you go. One. Good, good, good. Encourage you. Two. Good. <laughs> and before you, right, right at that moment where you just can't do it anymore where your muscles give out and you break and that weight's coming back at you, the spotter comes in. That's God. See, God will bring you to that moment. See, God is trying to bring you and He's giving you trials and He's giving you weights and He's giving you pressure and you say, God, can I do this? God, what are you doing? God, why are you bringing me to this? God, but here's what you got to understand. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. You say, is God here? God is faithful. Is God watching? God is faithful. Is God with me? God is faithful. Does God know what's going on? God's not going to bring more pressure on you. God's not going to crush you. God's plan is not to destroy you. 
but he will never give you Joseph. Will not bring those men into prison and give them more than they can bear. But not only that, there's a beautiful picture there, Genesis 42. There's a beautiful picture there about salvation. Did you notice that he said, look at verse 16. He said, send one of you and let him fetch your brother and he shall be kept in prison. He said, one of you, he said, all of you will be bound and because of one of you, will go. You know that's what happened to mankind? The Bible says, wherefore as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men that all have sinned. The Bible says that when one went, we all were bound. But look at what it says. He says, send one of you, that represents Adam, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison. So all were bound because of one man, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into war. Look what it says. Three days. What does that remind you of? Think about it. Jesus Christ died on the cross with berries. And how long was he in the grave? Three days. One man caused all to be bound, and then three days later, look what it says. Three days later, look at verse, uh, 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 where were we? 16. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and he shall be kept back in prison. One man all bound, and your words may prove whether there be any truth in you, or else by life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together into war. Three days, and Joseph said unto them, The third day this do, and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, and go ye. So here's what happened. One man caused all, they were all bound because of one man. Three days later, they were all let go because of one man. Adam caused us to shame, and Adam caused us to be bound. And three days later, one man, as of by one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been made the righteousness of God, is what the Bible says. Isn't that a beautiful picture there? One man caused us all to be bound, and one man caused us all to be free. It's a beautiful picture. Let's keep going. Look what it says. Let me grab my notes here. We're almost done, I promise. Look at verse 42. Genesis, I'm, I'm sorry, look at verse 21. Genesis 42, look at verse 21. I said, number one, he was trying to bring them closer to Joseph. Number two, he was trying to bring them contrite to Joseph. Number three, he was trying to bring them, their conscience, towards Joseph. Genesis 42, look at verse 21. And they said one to another, we are very guilty. Notice what he said. They, this is what they're saying. This is talk, they're talking to themselves. And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child? And ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Go with me to Psalm 139. Look at what the Bible says. Psalm 139. Look at verse number 23. Psalm 139, look at verse 23. The Bible says, You say, why does God do things in our lives? Why does God put us through things? Why, why is God... You may be asking this question. You may be asking this question this morning. You may be asking this question soon. Why is God doing this? And see, God was doing this to these men because they had wronged their brother. They had sinned against Joseph. 
And in the same way, you and I have sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ, and God is trying to put the flashlight on their sin. Why? So they can confess it and get right with God. Look at Psalm 139, look at verse 23. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Don't pray this prayer without really thinking about it. Look what it says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, you, you'll never pray that prayer while you're arrogant. You'll never pray that prayer while you're not humble. But the point of God, what was God doing in these men's lives? He was trying to get them... You know that the purpose of your life is to be right with your maker, to be right with God? And often God has to put the flashlight on our sin. But God, we sold Joseph 20 years ago. God doesn't forget. And God wants to bring you closer to Joseph. God wants to bring you contrite to Joseph. But God wants to bring your conscience towards Joseph because you must get your thoughts and your heart right before God. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to accomplish. The psalmist said, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Have you ever, have you ever asked that question? I, I won't ask for a raise of hands or anything. But have you ever asked the question, what is God doing? Why is God doing this? I'd like you to look at one more thing. Last thing and we're done. Look what it says verse 23. They just confessed their sin. Now they haven't confessed their sin to Joseph. They're just saying it amongst themselves. Their conscience has brought back their sin. And they're saying, we are very guilty concerning our brother. In that we saw the anguish of his soul and we, and when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distressful upon us. God is doing this to us because of what we did to Joseph. Look at verse 23. And they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter. See, the whole time Joseph's playing the game. He's speaking in the Egyptian language and he has an interpreter and they're speaking in the Hebrew language and they're saying this, you know, God is doing this to us because of what we did with Joseph. And Reuben is saying, didn't I tell you not to do that? Didn't I tell you not to hurt the child? Didn't I tell you, why didn't you do that? And they're talking about themselves and Joseph can understand everything they're saying. Look at verse 23. And they knew not that Joseph understood them for he spake unto them by interpreter. Look at verse 24. And he turned himself about from them and wept. And returned to them again, and communed with them. And took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. You know what's a beautiful thing about Joseph? Go, go, go with me to Hebrews 4.15. This is the last passage we'll look at. We're done. <laughs> Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. You know what's a beautiful thing about Joseph? And the beautiful thing about Jesus? Is that Joseph will use circumstances. He will do things. To bring these men hearts to be right with him. And Jesus Christ will do that. But here's the beautiful thing about Joseph. Here's why Joseph did not give them more than they could bear. Here's why God will not give you more than they could bear. Because God can identify with you. God can identify with you. See, Joseph, he saw these men. He saw them, the Bible said, affrighted. He saw them scared. He saw them worried. He didn't, they didn't, he knew they were saved because he was protecting them. But they didn't know. And you know, I believe that brought back Joseph to a place in his life when he was once scared, when he was once afraid, 
When he once did not know what was going to happen in his own life, he didn't know if he'd ever see his brothers, if he'd ever see his father. He didn't know if he'd spend the rest of his life as a slave or in prison. He didn't know what was going to happen. And Joseph, when he saw these men, the Bible says he wept. And in the same way, if you're there in Hebrews chapter number 4, look at verse number 15, Hebrews 4.15, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, For we have not an high priest, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we. you see that? The Bible says that Jesus, the difference between Jesus and another high priest is that He has been touched. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Why? Because when you've been betrayed, He's been betrayed. Because when you've been lied about, He's been lied about. Because when you've been rejected, He's been rejected. Because when you have had wrong done to you, He's had that wrong done to Him. And He can feel that. And He can sense that. And often in the Bible, the Bible says that Jesus would weep and Jesus would cry. Why? Because He'd identify with your sin. The Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we. Here's the difference. Yet without sin. He never sinned. We sinned. He never sinned. And as Joseph saw his brothers there, worried and scared and frightened, and God was dealing with them, and God was bringing up sin that they had to confess, that they had to get right. He looked at them and he, he had to turn around. He had to go out of the room because he wept. He waited. And he, came, he had to come back. Why did he weep? Because he identified with them. God identifies with you. See, oftentimes as a pastor, people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I'm going through this. I've got this sickness. I've, I've got this issue with my family. I've got this thing. And oftentimes I think to myself, I, I, I can't identify with that. I've never dealt with cancer. I've never dealt with some of these issues. I, I, I don't have children going astray. I don't have, uh, you know, I, I've never been divorced. I, I, I've never dealt with these things. But I know who has. I know who can. I can't, I may not be able to identify with you, but God identifies with you. God, he says, this is such a beautiful verse, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with our feelings. I may not be able to be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. I may, my heart may break and I may pray, but I may not feel that pain and I may not feel that hurt, but He does. He gets it. He understands it. And that's why He knows exactly when those muscles give out and He can send it. He knows it. He understands it. And He weeps for you. I may not. I try to. I try to pray for you. I try to love you. But when I, when I can't put my mind around it, God can. Because He's been there. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. The Bible says, everything you've ever felt, God felt it. Jesus felt it. The only difference between you and Him, His is yet without sin. He knows where you're at. He knows exactly when your strength will give out and needs to help. But He's not going to do the rest for you. He's going to wait till you can't do it anymore. And then He will step in and He will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What is God doing? Why is God allowing me to do this? Go through this? Why doesn't God step in? <laughs> What is this that God had done unto us? Have you ever asked that question? If you have, maybe, just maybe, God's trying to use circumstances around your life to bring you closer to Him, to bring you contrite to Him, 
to bring you humbly to Him. And maybe He's trying to deal with sin. I'm not saying in every situation. Obviously, there's Job in the Bible. Beautiful story about Job. Went through trials. There's no sin there. We understand that. But our goal in life is to be right with God. And if you're going through struggles, you're going through struggles, I mean, we all are. Every one of us. People, people oftentimes will think, oh, you know, you say that because, you know, as a pastor, one of the most surprising things that surprised me was this. Everyone's going through something. Everyone. You know? And, uh, and everyone, you know, and there's heartache there, and we understand that, and we pray for you, and we love you. But don't think, where's God in this? God knows. God sees you. God hears you. And God loves you. When he deals with us, he deals with us in a standpoint of love. Joseph was dealing with his brothers. He wasn't trying to get revenge. If he wanted revenge, he would just have their heads cut off. He was dealing with them in love. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ deals with you and I in love. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Father, for a church that will stand up for what we believe. We're going to stand up for this King James Bible. And we're going to stand up for the doctrines of the Bible. This pulpit is not going to submit to what the popular things are, what's in season or out of season. We're going to preach your word. And Lord, I pray you'd give us people who'd be humble enough to submit themselves to your word. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.